There are different questions that I get asked more frequently than others. And one of those has to do with our topic for today. The question of what kind of body will we have at the resurrection? But there may be even more important questions than what kind of body because sometimes we become confused about even the nature of what we call the resurrection. There are stories in culture and even stories that swirl around church that suggest maybe just a spiritual thing that happens. It comes out in our songs and funeral poems and all kinds of different ideas that somehow we die and we leave this shell behind and we go on to lead some sort of spiritual existence. But we're going to take a look at this phrase from the Apostles' Creed today. As Bobby Joe mentioned, we've been studying the Apostles' Creed for all summer now this statement of faith from the early church, which serves as a guide for faithful reading. We recognize that it came out of a particular time and a particular place in church history. And one of the concerns at that particular time was the issue of what happens when we die. Because there was a lot of concern and thought and idea behind this material life being less than. And so we had to transcend this material life and become spiritual beings. And so the early church wanted to emphasize the reality of the resurrection of the body, that what comes after this life continues on in physical form. Now, I may not answer all the questions you have. In fact, I know I can guarantee I won't answer all the questions that you have about the resurrection of the body. But we need to recognize that this is something important. And we need to clear up some of the confusion that's happened throughout history and sometimes continues on in our church. And so what I want us to do is use this passage that Kara read from 1 Corinthians 15 that talks about the resurrection of the body. And it's an important one because there are questions that the people of Corinth have been asking. They've been asking all sorts of things because earlier on at the start of chapter 15, they've talked about the fact that, or Paul has talked about the fact that Jesus' resurrection is the key to faith. And we talked about this a few weeks back, that if Jesus was not raised from the dead, our faith is meaningless. And then he goes on, he says, because Jesus raised, we are too in this picture of Jesus as the first fruits. And the picture is that when Jesus Christ returns, when Jesus the Messiah, when Jesus the King returns, he'll make all things new. And that we will be raised with physical bodies, both believers and unbelievers. We're not going to, we're going to set aside the sep- second topic for today, but focus on the fate of the believers. But when Jesus returns, that all believers will be raised and given a physical body of some kind. But then there are the questions that come up. Questions that the Corinthians have and questions that we all have. Like, how's that going to work? I mean, if my body's been in the ground for a thousand years, there's not going to be a whole lot left of my body. Or what about someone who dies in a severe fire or in a tornado or if we don't even know what happened to the body? And then maybe, well, what kind of body is it going to be? Is it going to be just like the body I have? Or maybe even the questions that come up as we think more about that. Well, how old will I be? I mean, will I have my 20-year-old body or my 80-year-old body? What about the scars and the wounds that I have? What about those pains that I have here and here or this leg, this knee that doesn't work quite like it used to? Will my hair come back at the resurrection? These are questions people are asking. 
And they want to know. Maybe I'm asking and you're not asking, but because some of you still have your hair. But you have questions about the resurrection. You have questions about what kind of body. And these are the questions that the Corinthians were asking. They were saying, well, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? And in a sense, they're having trouble fathoming even the idea that we will be resurrected with a body. Because part of the concern, part of the struggle they have is this idea, if God's going to come and make all things new and it's going to be this beautiful thing, how can we take this lowly body that we have and how is that going to fit in with it? And they've even asked earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, 12, but if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? And so they're struggling to think, how can there even be a resurrection? What sort of body are we going to have? But Paul, here in Corinthians and in Romans, like in 8.23 in Romans, he says, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the body grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Well, Paul is saying that we in eternity in God's new age will come with physical bodies. But Paul doesn't answer all of those questions that maybe we have about what that body looks like. What kind of body, but he does say something. And part of what he's saying to the Corinthians, because he says, how foolish. He's kind of saying, you're missing the point by quibbling over these things. Well, what kind of body is it going to have hair? Is it going to walk better? Is it going to... Paul's saying that's not the point. And he gives a couple of responses to talk about what kind of bodies. And so first of all, he says, well, look at nature. So in 1 Corinthians 15, 37, he says this, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. And so think about that. When we plant and we take a seed, it may be a tiny seed, a small seed, or these trees all came from a tiny seed. Well, when you plant it, it's not a tree, is it? It's a seed. But is the tree the same as the seed? There's this continuity. There's this something that goes on, but it's transformed. And so that's part of what Paul is saying about this resurrection body is there's some continuity. There's some con something continuous between those two things, but there's also a transformation that takes place. And he's saying the resurrection body is the same way, that our resurrection body is a transformation of our current body. And then he goes on and he says, it doesn't matter whether or not you can imagine what that resurrection body is like, but God will create a body that is appropriate to the new age. Whatever eternity looks like, God will create an appropriate body. So in 1 Corinthians 15, 39, he says, not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. And then he goes on and he talks about the moon and the stars. In other words, the bodies are appropriate to the places they live. A fish has one kind of body because it lives in water. A bird has another kind of body because it flies in the air. We have one kind of body. The sun has one kind of body because of where it is. And he's saying in the same way, when we're resurrected and we're living in the new heaven and the new earth, we'll have a body that fits that place. And then we kind of ask, well, what's that body going to be like? And those are the questions. And he doesn't answer our questions, but he tells us a couple things. He says, first of all, he says the body that is sown, and again, using that image of seed in 1 Corinthians 15, 42, the body that is sown 
It's perishable. It is raised imperishable. There's different words. And I think one way to think about that is the bodies that we have right now are decaying. I mean, they're, you don't need a theologian, a scientist to tell you that. All you need to do is wake up each and every day and know that the body I have today is not as strong or as fit as the body I had 10 years ago. And it continues on. And so the bodies that we have now are perishable. They're decaying. They're always growing into weakness. But he's saying the body that is raised, this new body, whatever it looks like, will be imperishable. It will reverse that decay. And instead, it will have vitality and strength. And then he goes on, he's saying, verse 43, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power. And so he sets up two more contrasts. One is shame and honor versus glory. And I think what Paul is getting at is the bodies we have right now become a vehicle for unworthy actions. And this is key to think about. When we live our lives, we live embodied lives. When we lie to someone, we use our body to do that. When we steal, we use our body to do that. Our sins aren't simply something that happens in this vague thing called the spirit. But instead, our sins are embodied. And what he's saying is the body we have right now is a vehicle for all those things. It's a, it's a body of shame or dishonor, but it'll be raised in glory. In other words, it will be glorious because the spirit will be at work in us. And one writer said it this way. He says, the last tatters and shreds of sin are no longer present to cloud the sun. In other words, this new body that we will have, those last tatters and shreds of sin will be gone. And so we will shine gloriously like God. And then he says, weakness versus power. And again, this is this sense of our bodies, our current bodies are subject to the ravages of time and sin. But the new body will be released from the past and destined to be conformed to Jesus. So these three contrasts tell us a little bit about the new body. It says, to be so imperishable, raised imperishable. So from imperishable to perishable. From dishonor to glory, weakness to power. And then he goes on and he says, in some what I'm saying is, what we have now is a natural body. and It'll be raised a spiritual body. And then we start thinking, wait a minute. I thought you said it was a physical body, not a spiritual body. Unfortunately, the language there in 1544, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body, also a spiritual body. Doesn't really convey the sense of what's going on. Because Paul has already made it clear we're going to have a physical body. So what's he talking about when he says a natural body versus a spiritual body? And I think N.T. Wright, uh, British theologian, pastor, captures it really well when he says we have to understand how those words physical and spiritual are being used. And he uses this analogy. He says, imagine you're talking about a ship. And now you can talk about ships in different ways. You can compare a wooden ship to an iron ship. A wooden ship versus an iron ship is what it's made of. And when we look at these words, physical versus spiritual, that's sometimes how we think of it. It's like, oh, one is physical and the other spiritual. But what Wright says is, no, it's used a different way because we can talk about ships in a different way. We can talk about a sailing ship 
versus a steamship. And in other words, it's talking about what's the animating power. And so as Paul says, the natural body versus the spiritual body, he's saying, what powers the body? The first body, our current body, is powered by our spirit. The, the Greek there is the soukakos. It's, the, it's being powered by our physical, our natural selves. But the body that will come will be powered by the spirit of God. That's what will bring it life and animate it. And so when he's talking about this, he's saying, that's the comparison. These current bodies we have, they're running on our power, which is why they're falling apart and they fall into sin. But this new body that is raised by God will be running on 100% pure God power. Imperishable, undeclaying, in glory. And so this is what it's talking about. And so our future hope is physical. We will be different, but in some ways the same. Again, I don't know how that works. But even the reality of it is we understand that in part, even now in the bodies that we live in. I read that scientists tell us that over the course of seven years, every single cell in your body is renewed. That means eight years ago, you were a completely different person. Every single cell in your body is different now than it was eight years ago. But we also know that in reality, that an 80-year-old is a different person than the eight-year-old. But they're still the same person, aren't they? And so in the same way, when we are resurrected, there's a continuity and a discontinuity. It's the same, but it's different. And this is what he's getting at here. Now, there's no way to know what blemishes remain. We know that Jesus is the model for it, that Jesus came back and he was resurrected. He was the first fruits. And we see some things about him. One of the things is it seems like at times his disciples recognized him and other times they didn't recognize him. He walked through walls. He still had the scars from the cross, but those scars were the signs of his obedience to God. So we have no idea of what blemishes will remain. I've listened to um, and read several books over the past few years about questions of people with disabilities. Maybe people with Down syndrome, people with autism. And, and it's interesting to read, even coming from scholars, some with autism and some who have children, that the question is, some people we naturally say, well, that's all going to be gone. And scholars have different ideas about the nature of the resurrection and what that will look like. But we do know that there will be this change and this transformation. So I can't tell you, and Paul doesn't choose to tell you what your new body is going to look like. He doesn't tell you what scars will remain and what scars will be gone, what aches will remain and what will be, or what, well, the aches and pains are gone and the sorrow will be gone, but what scars will be there and what our physical appearance will be. But he, what, what he does tell us is it will be changed and transformed and it will be what God has called us to be. But the question that remains in part is, and part of what I tried to get at with this series in the Apostles' Creed is, what difference does that make to us now? And one of the things it reminds us of is that our hope is not simply an escape from this world. Our hope is not simply like, oh, I'm going to get out of here and I don't care what's going on. I heard one pastor give it 
an analogy of this way. He said, imagine that you are a child on the play, or you, you're a parent, you have a child on the playground. And there's a bully that's been picking on your child. And you come and you find out and that and the, your son or your daughter comes and says, well, there's this bully. And you just say, okay, come on, let's go get some ice cream. And you take him away. And the bully remains. And what Paul is saying here is there's not simply just us being yanked away from this, but instead there's a transformation. That we don't simply, okay, if you're easily offended, turn your mind off for just a couple minutes now. There's songs that we sing like, I'll fly away. It's a great song. It's a fun song, but it's this picture of like, just I'm going to be zapped away. That's not what the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about a change and a transformation. And the other thing, okay, you can come back now. Um, there might be some other insulting times later, so, um, or offensive times. Um, but the other thing that it talks about is that death does not have the last say, and that's the key thing. Earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26, it says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy. In other words, death doesn't have the last say. When we celebrate the resurrection of the body, we're saying death doesn't have the last say. Death is an enemy and it loses and it is lost. Jesus Christ, by his resurrection from the dead, has defeated death. And as Paul talks in his letter to the Thessalonians, that means when we look at death, we can grieve as those with hope. So he says this in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And so what I want you to notice is when Paul is talking to the Thessalonians, he's saying, oh, when you've lost someone, there's grief. He says, but we don't grieve as those without hope. But he doesn't go on and say, it's okay because they've gone to heaven now. He's saying, no, it's okay because of the resurrection of the dead. It's okay because God has raised Jesus and in the same way he will raise us. There's hope. And so I think about this some in the context of funerals. Now, one of the things most of us don't like to think about is a funeral, particularly our own. And one of the trends that I've noticed over the years, so I've been a, in full-time ministry for a little over 24 years now, is a trend where not only in the church, but in society, move away from funerals to maybe a celebration of life. Because there's this feeling like, and I've had people tell me like, oh, I, I don't want a funeral. I don't want people gathering around. I don't want people being sad. And as I think about it more and more, one of the things I like to encourage people, and I encourage you to think about is the value of a funeral because what a funeral does is allow us to tell this story of the resurrection. Now, one of the first churches that I served was in Staples, Minnesota. And Staples was a church that had been around since the 1800s. And like many of those old churches, if you walked out the back door of the church, there was a cemetery. And some might think, well, that's kind of creepy going to church with a cemetery. But think about the reality of when we say we believe in the resurrection of the dead. 
Who's buried out in the cemetery? The saints of the church who have come before. And so we talked about that last week, the idea of the communion of the saints. And in a typical cemetery, the, the coffins are arranged so that the feet are facing east. Does anyone know why they face east in a cemetery? Because the scripture talks about Jesus at his appearance coming from the east. And so the picture is of when Jesus comes, the dead who are in their tombs, and this is kind of creepy, like zombie-like, you know, like the, the dead raise out of their tombs and they're facing where Jesus is coming from. But it's a picture and a reminder that these bodies, and so in the church of the past, there would literally be a procession and the people would come in and they would bear the body of their loved one, the body of the saint who was a member of that church. They would bear them and in the words of Tom Long, accompany them with singing into the church and then out to the cemetery. And it was just a reminder that this is this transition time and that we are doing this. And the body there helped us remember that what we've received through the person. And so when we have a body, whether that's a casket at a funeral or maybe an urn with the remains from a cremation, sitting at the funeral, it's a reminder of what we have received from God, that we've received a gift from God. But the body is also a sign of hope. It's saying, death has done its worst and it lost. The body sitting there at the funeral says, okay, death, you've done all you can, but it doesn't matter because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And so in the same way, this person will be raised from the dead. And so Tom Long talks about the funeral as a drama in which we remind ourselves that God is worthy of trust even in the face of death. And so when we say the resurrection of the dead, we're saying even in the face of that, in this communion of saints, that death changes but does not destroy the relationship. And the funeral is the time to announce that death does not have the last word. And so what I would encourage us to think about is a funeral is more than just remembering the person. A funeral is also a time to remember most of all this key thing that we believe in the resurrection of the dead. That we have the opportunity to celebrate and proclaim to the world this truth that holds us together, that binds us together, that Jesus Christ died, but that God raised him from the dead and that those who put their faith in him will one day also be raised to new life. So what I want to say to you, church, to people of Fruitland Covenant Church, is I want you to think about your funeral. I know you think, oh man, pastor, you just ruined my day. But I want you to think about your funeral and Think about it not simply in terms of, well, I don't want people sad or I want it to be happy, but to think about you have an opportunity, one last opportunity to join with the saints in worship on this earth. But you have an opportunity in that funeral to allow the proclamation of one of the central tenets of our belief that God has conquered death that death is defeated, that death is no more, and that God will raise us again one day into new life. So if you come to me and say, well, I'm not really interested in a funeral, I'm going to say, let's think about that for a minute. 
Because there's lots of reasons that we may think about it. But the funeral is this opportune time for us to allow, and not simply for the pastor to proclaim it, but for the entire congregation to come. Because when we bring a casket into the church, and unfortunately the way our church is arranged, we can't do it really well. Ideally, if we had a little more room in our sanctuary inside, I would put the casket with the feet facing towards the altar. Why? Because that person is in some sense joining in their last worship service with the saints. And so it's this picture, this opportunity for us to proclaim this good news, that Jesus Christ has conquered death. And so as we think about it, we realize I haven't answered most of your questions probably about the resurrection of the body about what your body's going to be like. But we're reminded that whatever that body looks like, whatever shape, whatever form it takes, it will be imperishable. It will not be subject to decay. It will be glorious. Freed from the tatters and shreds of sin. It will be raised in power. Power over sin and power over death. It will be raised and animated by the life-giving spirit of God. And so as we consider this, that no matter what this body looks like, that we can hold fast to these words, that Jesus was raised and so shall we be. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 and following, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sing, sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.